on the fence about joining Patreon? Let us tell you about some of the fun things this includes. Each month, you club members will get an extra episode where we will update you on previously covered cases, true crimes in the headlines, and a suggested spooky, murdery, or all-around weird something we've read, watched, or are currently binging. With your membership, you will also get Patreon-exclusive merch, as well as videos of some episodes that we record. So how do you join? Go to patreon.com slash United States of Murder and select which membership you'd like to join. After joining, we will give you a shout-out on an upcoming episode. We'll mail you some stickers, and all of our content will be available to you. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Iowa discussing a murder at the mall. Then, we will talk about a camping trip from hell. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Hawkeye State. The United States currently has 250,000 unsolved murders, a number that increases by about 6,000 each year, according to the FBI's Uniformed Crime Report data. However, cold cases are heating up thanks to advancements in forensic science and DNA technology. Since 2018, police forces in the U.S. have been able to identify suspects in at least 28 cold case murder and rape cases with the help of DNA testing, GEDmatch, and genetic genealogy. GEDmatch is an online service to compare autosomal DNA data files from different testing companies. The website gained significant media coverage in April 2018 after it was used by law enforcement to identify Joseph James D'Angelo as a suspect in the Golden State Killer case in California. Other law enforcement agencies started using GEDmatch for violent crimes, making it the de facto DNA and genealogy database for all of law enforcement. In cooperation with American law enforcement organizations, Paravon Nanolabs started uploading DNA evidence from crime scenes to GEDmatch in an attempt to identify perpetrators. In November 2018, Parabon was reported to be working on 200 such cases. In May 2019, they said they were solving cold cases at the rate of about one per week. Which case will it be this week? Today, I'm going to take you all back to 1979 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Cedar Rapids is the second largest city in Iowa. Can you guess the first? No. Des Moines. (laughs) I got no facts on Uh, Iowa. And in the 2020 census, the city population was 137,710. That's very specific. It is. Cedar Rapids is nicknamed the City of Five Seasons. Which are? So the fifth season is time to enjoy the other four. Very sweet. Very dad joke. Fun fact, both Ashton Kutcher and Elijah Wood are from Cedar Rapids. Really? Mm-hmm. Both me and Justin Timberlake are from Memphis. Wow. I know there's a lot more of it. <laughs> I'm from a town of no one. <laughs> Well, my case takes place right before Christmas of 1979 on December 19th. 
it's strange how when you're not looking for cases close to holidays, you, you stumble upon them. You can't find them when you're looking. But when you look, you don't find them. Yeah. So that night, 18-year-old Michelle Martinko drove to the Westdale Mall after a school choir banquet to pick up a winter coat that her mom had put on layaway. Remember layaway? Oh my gosh. Layaway pickup day was so fun. Yeah, for real. So she was a senior at Kennedy High School. She wore a pretty black dress to the banquet and was still wearing it when she went to the mall. You know, Iowa winters are very cold, so she was wearing a rabbit fur coat over the dress, along with platform heels that were popular at the time. Like, in my mind, this whole outfit, I'm here for it. There's a picture of her wearing this dress, and she's, it's really cute. I love a platform heel. She has, yeah, she had good style. And a rabbit fur. Michelle had a run-in with an ex-boyfriend while she was there. Ugh. Michelle and Andy Sedell dated for two years before eventually breaking up, but they remained close friends, so it wasn't a bad run-in, you know? Yeah. He told her he was actually at the mall to buy her a Christmas present, and he asked her not to follow him so that she wouldn't know where he was going and what he was buying for her. But she asked if she could call later, and he seemed happy about that. Kind of cute. Two years is a really long time when you're a teenager. Two years is a really wrong time That's when like you're 40. Time. Well, I couldn't find out why they broke up in the first place, but the story of how they met is pretty cute. They first met while Andy was struggling to roller skate. I love this whole thing. So Michelle asked if she could help him, and they started going out when they discovered their shared passion for pizza. Simpler time. This sounds like a movie. I'm also passionate about pizza. And I'm also passionate about roller skating. True. So, Andy is not the only familiar face she saw at the mall. She also saw her friend named Tracy Price, and she had known him since elementary school. He and all three of his buddies were going to watch the movie The Jerk that night. Oh, God. (laughs) I've never seen that. (laughs) But they decided to go to the mall first. You know how it is. Well, when you're a teenager, you used to. The mall, yeah, the mall is big. Yeah. So they ran into Michelle there, and she said she was there picking up a coat, and then they all went their separate ways. After she picked up the coat, she began to stroll out of the mall and saw a former classmate of hers named Curtis Thomas. He worked at a clothing store in the mall and was on a quick break. They had a short, friendly conversation. He walked her toward an exit and said goodnight. She left the mall to walk back to the Tan family Buick parked outside and was never seen alive again. As the hours passed that night, Michelle's mother started getting worried. She frantically called one of Michelle's good friends named Jane Hansen, asking if she knew where Michelle was. Jane had no idea, and she thought Michelle must be in trouble. Around 2 a.m., Michelle's father called the police and reported her missing. In the meantime, the parents went searching for her, along with the police. Around 4 a.m. on December 20th, the police found the family Buick still in the parking lot of the mall. And Michelle's body was on the passenger side floor, and she had been stabbed multiple times. So Michelle had been stabbed at least 29 times. Oh my god, in the mall parking lot? In the mall parking lot, in her face, neck, and chest. She also had wounds on her hands showing that she fought her killer. There were two stab wounds that penetrated her lungs. Her aorta was pierced, and she lost a third of her blood capacity. Mm-mm. 
There was not much blood on the outside of the car. It was mostly inside. So the police determined the murder had taken place inside of the car. My God. Mm -hmm. The medical examiner later estimated that she had died between 8 and 10 p.m. and that the murder weapon was sharp, pointed, but not definitely a knife. So they weren't quite sure what it was. The examiner couldn't determine the size either. I guess because they were so. I guess so because many, the scene maybe. was so yeah. brutal, and not that it wasn't a knife. They just couldn't necessarily say for sure it was. The killer left behind no fingerprints, and they suspected he was wearing gloves during the murder. Michelle still had cash in her purse, so robbery was ruled out as a motive early on. Nothing of hers was taken. And they also determined she had not been sexually assaulted. So they just killed her. Right. Didn't steal. No sexual assault. Right. Kind of Didn't steal a car. Didn't when you think of it. Exactly. Yeah. And because of how violent this murder was, especially to her face, they thought it must have been personal in nature. Of I course. mean, that's... Total crime of passion. Yeah. That's exactly what I would have guessed. So evidence shows that her attacker likely pushed her down on her back. At some point during the attack, the attacker cut himself, probably on accident, when she was fighting back. And it's winter in Iowa. It's super dark outside. They likely snuck up on her while she was she was probably opening her car door, probably putting her bags in the passenger seat or something like that. And she was probably ambushed. They don't know for sure, but they just... Do we know that the attacker wasn't hiding in the back seat of the car? Based on how the blood was spattered, they think he was outside of the car. Gotcha. Because she was like, it looked like she was ambushed into the car. His blood was there. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, DNA evidence was not being used yet. So Michelle was known as a sweet, friendly, outgoing, upbeat girl who didn't have any problems with anyone. Her family didn't know of any enemies or anything like that, so who would want to kill her? Well, her family and friends mainly suspected her ex-boyfriend, Andy, but there was no evidence to suggest he committed the murder. They were just kind of thinking, who else could it be? Who else had any right. problem with her? So the police were stumped, and they asked the public for tips. And in just a week, they received more than 200 However, none of them are useful. They interviewed numerous people, including all of her friends that she saw at the mall that night. And then all types of rumors started swirling about what happened. The investigation hit a wall. So a $10,000 reward was offered for information that would lead police to the killer. It's a lot of money in 1978. Oh, for sure. But still nothing. The case grew cold. Speaking to the Gazette at the time, Michelle's mother, Janet, remembered how her daughter loved music and was a beautiful singer. Our lives revolved around Michelle, who was the youngest of her two daughters, she said. She never had any school problems. She had goals for herself, things she wanted to do with her life, and she would write them down and achieve them. Michelle's parents both died in the 1990s without knowing who was responsible for their daughter's death. In 2006, 27 years after Michelle's murder, a new cold case investigator working for the Cedar Rapids PD received a tip regarding the case. The tip didn't lead anywhere, but he discovered what he believed to be the killer's blood while he was reviewing the old case files. 
because they had DNA on file for him. Gotcha. But that wasn't a thing, but they kept it Mm -hmm. all that time. And no one had thought to check or even knew about it, I guess. I don't know how that, I don't know how that works because it's like, he didn't realize that was there. He was only in the file Uh and then saw, oh, wow, we have, let's run it. So of course this was extremely useful. And from that small bit of blood that was found on the stick shift of Michelle's car and the back of her dress, police were able to build a partial male DNA profile. I'm here for this. Mm Mm-hmm. So documents concluded that fewer than 1 in 100 billion people would match this DNA profile. The results were entered into CODIS, the National DNA Database, but no matches were found. Yeah. In 2017, a company specializing in DNA phenotyping was hired to create additional images of the killer based solely on DNA clues about his facial appearance and ancestry. This is that's a, wild. That's amazing. Exactly. I would like to see, like, if we put our DNA, what how they close, could, it, how would close it would look to us. Yeah, and I will link this up on social media because the images showed a man with blonde hair and blue eyes. And it also produced approximations on how the man would have aged in years since the crime. Because obviously, he was much younger when he committed it. He's going to be a lot older now. So eventually, more than 125 people had their DNA swabbed to be compared against the samples taken from the scene, including Andy, her ex-boyfriend. This finally cleared him of any suspicion once and for all. Out of more than 80 potential suspects that had been identified over the years, more than 60 people were tested and cleared of suspicion. Kind of wild that they were able to find that many people yeah. to get yeah. it after all of after that, all time. that time. Yeah. So investigators turned to a commercial genetic genealogy site called dun, 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 GEDmatch. We love GEDmatch. This was a major, major, major breakthrough. They were able to narrow down their suspects to three brothers in Iowa. Two of the brothers were eliminated as suspects, and Jerry Lynn Burns became the prime suspect. So detectives began secretly following Jerry around in hopes of obtaining some of his DNA to sample. This is very similar to what they did with the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. On October 29th, 2018, an investigator observed Jerry Lynn Burns drink multiple sodas at a restaurant using a plastic straw. When he threw the straw away, the investigator collected it and tested it for his DNA. It was a match. On December 19th, 2018, investigators went to Jerry's business in Manchester, Iowa to interview him. They asked if he would voluntarily provide some of his DNA, but he refused. Of course. He told them he had no idea who Michelle was and that he was not there when she died. When they asked if he had killed someone that night in 1979, Jerry repeatedly told investigators, test the DNA, test the DNA. And they, I listened to this interview and they're like, we already have tested it. And he's like, well, test this DNA, test that DNA. And he just kept repeating that. It doesn't, your DNA doesn't change, sir. Yeah, he just was deflecting big time. So on December 19th, 2018, exactly 39 years after Michelle's murder, Jerry Lynn Burns was arrested and charged with first degree murder. 
He was 66 at this time, so he would have been 25 years old when he committed the murder. He entered a plea of not guilty. His trial was originally scheduled for October 14, 2019, but in September, the defense requested a delay in order to gather more evidence and interview witnesses. The defense also requested the trial be moved out of Lynn County because it had gotten so much attention. He wouldn't get a fair trial. Right. And it had been four decades, so they thought it would be pretty biased. So they rescheduled it for February 10th, 2020 in Scott County. In pretrial hearings, Jerry's attorney claimed that the police needed a search warrant to gather his DNA from the discarded straw. Nope. I only knew that because of the Golden State Killer case. But (laughs) yeah, that's totally fine. They can do that. The judge determined that the discarded property cannot reasonably be considered private. Well, that's just like anybody's trash. Exactly. He was at a restaurant. Anything out of your Mm -hmm. trash can, and you cannot stop me. Exactly. Out your outside trash. (laughs) Right. It's not private property. He was at a restaurant drinking. He threw it away. Left. They went and took it. It's not his property. Yeah. Yeah. The defense also requested that evidence pertaining to Jerry's cell phone internet search history be suppressed. Investigators had reviewed his 2018 internet searches. Was not good. They found he regularly visited websites showing blonde women being raped, stabbed, and strangled, which depicted sexual intercourse with murder victims. So like snuff films. Yes. The judge determined the search history was not usable in the trial due to decades of time separating the murder and the search history. It can't, like, paint I know. a picture of this is what... Isn't it strange how sometimes that is relevant and, and sometimes it's, it's sometimes not, it's I guess? Yeah. yeah, I like that really lines up. I mean, what are the odds of... Him being into certain... Yeah, and she was blonde. But she wasn't sexually assaulted. Correct. She, so, they couldn't prove that. Right. So on February 24th, 2020, after three hours of deliberation, the jury found Jerry Lynn Burns guilty of first-degree murder of Michelle. On August 7th, 2020, Burns was sentenced to life in prison without parole, and he is currently imprisoned at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. So Michelle's older sister, Janelle, said after this verdict, we don't exactly know the whys and some of the details, but we definitely know who did it. And that was terribly important to us. I wish my parents could be here to see this. There's one more turn in the story, sort of. So when police were interviewing Jerry about Michelle's murder, he strangely brought up another blonde woman's name. They were questioning him about the night Michelle was murdered, and he was saying he didn't remember exactly what happened, but he had seen something about Jody Hoosentrut. <gasps> Jody Hoosentrut. She was the uh, news girl. Yes. Newswoman. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they kept reminding him, hey, we're talking to you about Michelle. We're Why not talking you? about her. And yeah. he was like, oh, well, I saw her on. She's missing. That it's has almost nothing like, to do with this. Was he deflecting to try to... Yeah, it or, was so Or was strange. he just like, why are you not looking at this one too, you know? Mm-hmm. So Jody Sue, who's in truth, was an American television news anchor for KIMT in Mason City, Iowa. She went missing in the early morning hours of June 27, 1995, soon after telling a colleague that she overslept and was running late for work. It's so strange because there are so many female news anchor stories out there, and I had forgotten about this one. So since there were signs of a struggle outside of her apartment, Jody is believed to have been abducted. 
she was never found. However, extensive investigations have failed to uncover any clues about her disappearance, but she was legally declared dead in 2001. She just disappeared. We, yeah, we don't know anything. But there are definitely similarities between Michelle and Jody. I'll post pictures, but they were both young, blonde women in Iowa. That might seem like there's a lot of people like that, but still, they're both... They're cases that both involve parking lots. Jerry would have been around 42 at the time of Jody's disappearance. Could all just be coincidental. Yeah, I mean... There's no known DNA tying Jerry to Jody. There's no evidence to support that he knew her. However, he didn't know Michelle either. There's no connection between them. It's totally a, why was he there? Why was he following her? We don't know any anything on why he picked her. And Mason City Police will not disclose whether or not they're looking at Jerry Burns as a suspect in her case. And of course, I'll be keeping an eye on this. I set up my Google Alerts on this. There's an episode of 48 Hours about this case. I'll add in the show notes. Got a lot of info from CBS News, Medium, the Des Moines Register, and Iowa Public Radio. But it's interesting to think about. And when I post these photos side by side, they don't necessarily look just alike, but He was looking at basically murder porn of young, white, blonde girls and killed one. And then this other woman who he mentions in an interview. Yeah, it's definitely suspect. And what are the odds of him never committing any other crime again? I mean, it's possible, but it's... It's interesting. It was so brutal of a murder. I mean, 29 stabs in the face. It's like, why? Why? And he just still pleads not guilty. So... Well, I mean, he doesn't plead it anymore, but he still claims Says that he's, he's innocent. Guilty. Yeah. So we don't know any details on the why. That's and what's so frustrating in cases like this. I totally agree. When they just for just randomly pick someone and... Uh-uh. Was he just at the mall and he saw her? Was he hiding in the park? Did he follow her there from the banquet? No one knows. He's still saying he's innocent. He wasn't there. He doesn't know. This is going to drive me insane. It really does. And since we just found this out not too long ago, I mean, they're still looking into his history because seriously, we don't know anything about him really. Okay. After that doozy of a case, do you want to dive into your story? Absolutely. (laughs) So mine also takes place in the 70s. Okay. And also involves three brothers. Hmm. So when you were saying three brothers were suspects, I was like, were you thinking Holy it was about shit. You if it's the same, oh, yeah, no. I was about to just bust it all out. So my case takes place in November of 1973. Five teenage friends from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, set out to camp in the crisp fall air. I'm painting you this whole picture. They had a cool van, a guitar, marijuana. And not a fucking care in the world. So they were 18-year-old Stuart, 17-year-old Roger, 15-year-old Michael, 14-year-old Dana, and 13-year-old Sandra, who was Roger's girlfriend. The gang sets out to Gitche Manitou. It's like a state preserve in nearby Lyon County, Iowa. Hmm. So this was a popular hangout for teenagers to go where they could build bonfires, drink some beer, mess around with their crush. You get it. We all had those places in high school. So they get there, they park, they walk a little ways down a narrow path and find their spot to kind of set up their camp. They build a bonfire 
And Stuart starts playing his guitar. I mean, this sounds like a total 70s movie. I'm almost thinking about Wrong Turn when all the friends are in the van going out to camp. One hundred. That's exactly what I'm thinking of right now. Yes. So, Stuart wanted to be in a band. So, he was playing his guitar and... Roger and Sandra were kind of standing there with their arms around each other. And the other boys were sitting down by the fire. And they start hearing snapping twigs, crunching leaves, straight out of a scary movie. I would have been gone. I would have, like, I don't know. I would have just climbed a tree Uh, straight up. First of all, we've established that neither one of us have upper body strength, so we can forget climbing a tree. True. So, smoke under my feet, I promise you, like a Looney Tunes character. Oh, I can run No, ma'am. No, ma'am. So, anyways, Roger and Sandra kind of walk towards the sound, and suddenly gunshots ring out. Roger falls to the ground. All of a sudden, there are three men standing on top of rocks that were kind of by the camp. So they're up there on the rocks. One of them fires his gun again. This time he hits Stuart. So Michael grabs Sandra and pulls her behind some trees to try to protect her. Dana also runs out into the woods. The men jump down off the rocks and yell at the kids, like, come out of the woods. They tell the teenagers that they are police officers and this is a raid and to come out with their hands up. Sorry, did you say what time this was? Is this night? It's nighttime. It's nighttime? Yes. So it's dark. Oh my gosh. These were good kids. Like, none of them had ever been in trouble with the law. Especially if you had marijuana and someone was yeah, well, saying we're the police, right. you're a kid. Oh my god! And it's dark and he did have mm-hmm. marijuana. So mm-hmm. they were like, oh shit, we're in trouble. Yeah. So they tricked them. They tricked these kids. So Sandra, Michael, and Dana all come out of the woods with their hands up. Michael yells out to them like, why are you shooting at us? One of the men, Alan, holds up a shotgun and shoots him in the <gasps> chest and the shoulder knocking him to the ground. Well, Sandra falls to the ground too and acts like she's dead. She just plays dead. She just drops. The men start kicking the feet of the wounded teenagers and shouting at them to quit playing dead. They make them get up and start walking. It's like my worst fucking nightmare. This is terrifying. Literally some hillbilly horror movie like the hills have eyes. And reason 6,051, I will never, ever go camping, period. (laughs) Period. So they tie Sandra's hands behind her back at this point. Sandra was the only girl. Oh, gosh. And she's 13? She's 13. Oh, my gosh. So these three men were Alan, David, and James Fryer. They were all brothers from Sioux Falls, and they were bad news. They were all convicted felons. They all had records and... Some of them were for, like, violent offenses. Mm-hmm. The youngest brother, James, was actually in jail, but was out on work release that day, driving a tow truck, and one of his brothers called the jail pretending to be his boss and told them he needed to stay out later than normal so they could all go out in the woods and poach some deer. Wow. So he lies to the jail and says, we need him to work a little bit late, so he's going to He's coming back, but he's just going to be back later. So they're in the woods. 
They start hearing the teenagers playing guitar and messing around with each other. They start spying on them from the woods, trying to figure out what they want to do, and decided to hunt them instead. Oh, my gosh. That's terrifying to Also, Hugh, again, my worst fucking nightmare. So they keep telling these kids that they're going to jail, that they're meeting up with the sheriff later, and they're all buying it. Like, they don't, they don't know any different. So Roger was killed instantly when he was shot. Stuart and Michael are both severely wounded. Sandra and Dana have neither one been wounded. So the men march the boys away from the camp and take Sandra and put her in their truck. And then Alan drives away with her. Once she's gone, they execute the three boys. I know, it's heartbreaking. They lined those boys up and executed them. They leave in Stuart, those those two brothers that are left, leave in Stuart's van and then end up abandoning it on the side of a road in town, hop in David's car, and then head out to this abandoned house to meet up with Alan, who has taken Sandra. So the whole way to this abandoned farmhouse, Alan's telling Sandra that he's an undercover cop and he will try to talk to the sheriff to get her off with no charges. Like he's just feeding her just bullshit. She's 13. Yeah. So she's like, oh shit, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. So the other two brothers get there. Alan gets out and starts talking to them. Then James climbs in the truck with Sandra and violently rapes this 13 year old girl. It's disgusting. They are still telling her that, you know, you know, she's asking where her friends are. Like, where am I? And they're like, they've been taken to jail. They're in jail. Like, she doesn't know that they're dead. So after the rape, David drives James back to jail and drops him off. This is ridiculous. This is like 4 a.m. at this point. So they leave Sandra with Alan with the understanding that he's supposed to kill her. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He sits in the truck with her for a minute, and he finally asks her, where do you live? Really? And, I mean, she, she's, you know, as they're sitting there, like, she's talking to him and, like, trying to be like, I'm 13. I'm just 13. And he asks her, where do you live? He drives her home, and he makes her promise not to tell anyone or that they would come back and kill her and her entire family. So Sandra runs in the house, tells her big brother what happened. And he tells her, you know, take a shower, get some rest. In the morning, you need to go to the police department because those men were not cops. Cops don't rape you. Cops don't shoot anybody. Like, this is ridiculous. So the next day, Sandra and her best friend, who she tells, listen, let me tell you what happened to me last night. Of course, you're not going to not tell tell. anyone. No, and she's 13. I know I keep saying that, but my niece is... I couldn't even, uh, I can't even imagine. So she tells her best friend what happened and they go to the police department and they don't believe her. They arrest her because now they have found the bodies of of the boys. Oh my. And they think she did it. They think she did it. They, or that she's in on it because why would three killers leave her alive? Was she dating one of them? Did she sleep with all three of them to keep them from killing her? Did she buy drugs from them? This was a drug deal gone wrong. Like, 
they were they were just spinning blaming the yes, victim the whole yes, time. Yes. Okay. One police officer, a Lyon County Sheriff, did believe her. He said, you know, no, this doesn't make sense, but you're right, it doesn't make sense. Why would she be saying all this stuff? She knew too many specifics, she knew too many details. And if if she was brutally raped, then surely she would at least have some marks on her body. So manhunt starts for the three men she said had done this. One of the police officers makes a sketch of the abandoned house that she had described that she had been taken to. And so they start giving these sketches out to farmers and mailmen and anybody in the area to see if they knew where this place was or if they came across it to let them know. They kept her in a juvenile detention center for her protection because they were worried that these three men were going to come back and finish her off. And her mom and and her mom and brother were also relocated for the time being. So when they got any tip, they would get her and take her with them out to the house to see if this is it. Mm -hmm. And time after time, it wasn't it. It wasn't it. So after two weeks, they drove her to one of these places, but it wasn't it either. Mm -hmm. And they're driving back to the detention center down like this gravel road. And Sandra spots another abandoned house. And she says, that's it. That's the house. That's where he took me. That's the place I was raped. So they start heading towards that house and they meet a truck. And it's Alan. She starts screaming, that's the guy who raped me. That's his truck. That's his truck. And so they pull over and arrest him on the spot. He worked for a farmer in the area. That's why he knew where to take her. It was like an old farmhouse on some land that he took care of. And it was this old farm truck that she remembered that had like a gas, like a diesel gas tank on the back of it. Certain colors, certain dense paint off areas that she knew. So they arrested his brother shortly after that. He claimed that Sandra's friends were the one that shot at them And they fired back and accidentally killed one of them. After a few more interviews, though, he comes clean. Sort of. He said the teenagers were drinking and smoking pot and they wanted to steal it. And then shit just went south. Sandra would go on to identify the other two brothers in a lineup. David said a similar story that they were trying to steal the marijuana. And he also told him that Alan had impersonated a cop and that Sandra was laughing and going along with it the whole time. He also said that she wanted to have sex with James and also him, but he wouldn't give me a break. So on December 1st, 1973, all three men were charged with four counts of murder. Sandra testified on February 12th, 1974, David pled guilty to the open charge of murder Guilty of three charges of murder and one charge of manslaughter, admitting that he had killed Stewart. He was sentenced to life without parole. Allen underwent psychiatric testing and was found fit to stand trial, and he was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to four life terms to be served consecutively. James was determined to have an IQ of 85 and that he could not control his behavior. He was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and one charge of manslaughter. He also got life without parole. No one was charged with the rape of Sandra. 
What? There was no need to put her through that, they said. Um, she was already, had testified in all of their gotta be cases, and they were like, there's no sense of putting her through a rape trial. They're all serving life anyway. There have been several appeals made by the men, but they have all Good. fallen through. Gosh. And that's my story of the Gitche Manitow murders. I've never heard of this. I will never, ever, ever go camping. Uh-uh. No. No. It's always when they're camping. It's because you're out there and you're vulnerable. Yeah. Especially you're, if you're on land that you're unfamiliar with and there's someone creeping around that is. You can't see. I can't say that I'll never camp because I probably will. I just don't get the appeal. It's not that I'm anti-campy. It's like, I'll glamp. Like, I stayed in a yurt one time. I don't like sleeping on the ground. No, I did not. I slept up on a platform. It's because my back, it will kill my back. No. The last time I went camping, and it's been years and years, I can't even, if I tried to sleep on the ground now, I wouldn't be able to move for weeks, I'm sure. I just don't want to get murdered by Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See, I think of bears mostly, but also that. That's scary. Well, I would not think of, like, a bear. No. I think of the Arkansas hillbillies. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Seen them. I know them. Just kidding. I don't <laughs> know them. I have a couple I uncles. Have, <laughs> have seen them. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. That's And it's horrifying. getting kind of campy season, isn't it? Is there a season? Yeah, I mean. In the fall? People camp in the summer, but in the fall, people camp too. Yeah. It's cooler, mm-hmm. marshmallowy things. I love bonfires. I like fires and fire pits, but I don't like sleeping outside. I mean, it would be nice. To, I mean, like, I could sleep on your back porch. Like, it's got a big wraparound back porch. Like, I could sleep out there. That feels pretty safe. The ferals would keep you safe. The cats. <laughs> the cats. Both of our cases this week were teenagers in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Did you have your Iowa facts? I mean, I've got a few randos. You were mentioning it's them to me earlier. I was... I just some, have, like, randos. Well, I, I, I need something to cheer me up after that. Um, Iowa is the state with the most pigs. Like, oink, oink, like a pig. I would have thought corn... But they also pig. have they also have the most corn, but they have the most okay. pigs and pigs. Okay, pigs. Who knew? They're like huge pork exporters. <laughs> Who knew? Who Everyone knew? from Iowa. They're Everyone like, from yeah, Iowa is like, yeah, stupid. And we also like to camp, bitches. <laughs> Sorry about that, all you campers out there. And also, do you know what a Hawkeye is? A bird? Nope. It's a red, delicious apple. Are they interchangeable? No or idea. Is it just like Red Delicious in Iowa? It's also known as a Hawkeye. Okay. No idea. It's almost a- apple pickle. Apple pickles. It's almost apple picking season. You sh- you I've never do that. done that. I've never. Doesn't sound fruit. fun. I don't. We had a cherry tree once. Mm-hmm. Did just animals eat it? No, my mom made us pick them. Oh. oh gosh! And then she made like every fucking cherry thing. Mm-hmm. This side of the Mason-Dixon, like, in one season, and to this day, I cannot eat a cherry pie, a really? cherry popsicle, a cherry anything. It makes me want to throw up. I love a cherry pie, but no. I never pick cherries, so. No. We have two new patrons. We love it. Dun, 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 dun. We have 
Carly W. from Kansas. Mm. And Cynthia M. from Nevada. Nice. Thanks so much for listening and supporting us. We love you too, and we will be sending you some goodies in the mail. Yes. Very soon. So stay tuned. I also recently realized that for new patrons, you don't have to give me your address. And luckily, everyone so far has been really good at messaging me back and giving it to me if they haven't. But for anyone that wants to join in the future, add your address if you want stickers and stuff sent your way. I can't force you to send me your address, of course, privacy. If you don't want want me to have it, I don't. If you don't want us to have it, it's okay. You don't have to. But if you're comfortable with that, let us know and we'll send you some some stickers and magnets and stuff like that. Another patron, Tammy, DM saying we needed to have margaritas. And Lacey made us some, and now we're drunk. No. Not we're drunk. that strong. Just a little buzzed. But there's also, okay, so it's it was a very specific recipe. Two people have suggested margaritas. So Jacqueline also mentioned that we needed to try cucumber jalapeno infused margaritas with teen on the rim and i'm like that sounds amazing so hot so that's what i made so hot so good except i kind of had a hit a snafu when i forgot that ashley was allergic to pineapple i made a whole big picture with okay so margarita regular normal margarita mix and then i had crushed pineapple cucumber and jalapeno and i was so proud of Everything. It's so pretty. And I put the tahini, I made some fancy little toppers, and then she's like, um, I'm allergic to pineapple. Lacey tried to kill me. I'm like, oh, God, I knew that. But I quickly made a random version without pineapple. I don't know how good it was. It was amazing. I drank the whole thing, obviously. But it was really good. So good. It was refreshing. It wasn't, so I'm not a big jalapeno beverage person so i was kind of thinking it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be very good but it wasn't as bad i didn't use a ton of jalapenos in there i will eat or drink any jalapeno anything i I was impressed so i'll definitely be making them again because i've tried habanero beer before and hated it or pepper beer beer it's too strong and too overpowering but the margaritas were pretty good so i'll post that picture definitely have to make those recipe make them again I, will. I actually made my husband make the margarita mix i just muddled the fruits <laughs> oh lord he's the bartender i'm like hey um can you make this i don't know what goes in margaritas thanks sam so anyway where are we next week we are in maryland okay mm-hmm there's some there's a lot that goes on there. We only have like 10 states left. I know. This is our 50th episode, isn't this it? This is our 50th episode. I was just that you mentioned that today and I'm like, yay. And we also made the U.S. charts for the first time. Hallelujah. Finally. Thank you all so much. We love you Could all. Could not have done it without you. For real. We really are so grateful for everyone that listens. And also follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder. We post all of our pictures of... The episodes, the drinks, our shenanigans. Ourselves. Ourselves. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the pets. My dog, I have to throw this in, is now a professional model. I cannot. <laughs> he was voted Little Rock Soiree's cutest dog. 
2021, and he has a whole spread in a magazine right now. So I cannot. we're amongst a celebrity right now. He's on the floor in a deep sleep, but it's hard out here for him. It's hard. It's hard being that cute. <laughs> Maybe he should photograph a magazine and send it to one of our. <laughs> That's super cute. That's a cute idea. But anyway, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at US of M Podcast. Join the Patreon. Join the Patreon at patreon.com slash United States of Murder. If you like what you hear, recommend us to a friend. That's probably one of the best things you can do, and it's free. And also leave us a review. Yes, leave us we a love review. Those, those we love help a us review. in the algorithm of Apple. And again, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.